Today in the Attorney Career Advice Podcast with Harrison Barnes. Your academic credentials are are only important to the extent they help you get in the door early in your career, but anybody that wants to work in a law firm can get a job in a law firm. So the best way to appear like you really want the job you're interviewing for is to just go in and be very excited. Let's see here, this next question. But yeah, so that again, anyone that's having a hard time getting a job and nervous about the market or whatever. I always recommend trying to work in consumer-facing jobs, consumer-facing law firms. Anyone can get it. And when I say anyone, I mean anyone can get a job in a consumer-facing law firm. You just need to write enough. Of them. Now, they're not always going to pay a lot, but you will learn a skill that you can sell. I know trust and estates attorneys that have their own practice that make well over millions of dollars a year with their own practice that don't have any special legal skills. People that do personal injury, that's the same thing. So Anytime, if you're not having luck getting into a company facing firms, which typically require the best law schools and pedigrees, who cares? Go to work for a consumer facing firm, because if you work in it for a consumer facing firm, you're also going to be able to learn a business uh, that you can start anywhere. And again, a lot of the most successful attorneys start out at company facing firms where they're doing working for huge companies, doing commercial litigation and stuff. And then they're like, hey, there's actually more money and it's easier to get business from consumers. So I'm going to switch from commercial litigation to do family law. Or I'm going to search from corporate to do trust in the states. It's very smart. And I know people that went to Yale Law School that are family law attorneys. And I saw another guy that was this morning that was at the very top of his class at the University of Chicago and decided to become a criminal lawyer, just shang on his own shingle right after law school. Just you can do this kind of stuff. It's smart. How do law firms assess if candidates fit with their culture and what can a candidate do to demonstrate cultural alignment? Well, different law firms have different personalities, and those personalities are can get a sense of the culture. When you interview with them, you'll see how people behave and act, how the firm acts when you get an interview with them, how things work, and so you you just try to be comfortable with it. So you, it's very difficult to understand the culture. You can't always understand it from the website. You can't you can understand it based on how um, the firm interacts with you, and then when you get into the firm based on the people that they have you talk to, and this is how you do it. But you, the cultures of firms are very unusual, and a lot of them are very unique. And most of the time, if it's a unique culture, the law firm will try to tell you why it's unique. When, they're, when you're interviewing with them, they will, or before you even interview with them, they'll try to they'll learn things about their culture. So they may, things that they think are important to them. So let me see here. Can you provide some insight in what law firms are looking for candidates beyond academic credentials and legal experience? Yeah. So the things I spoke about is they want to like you. So they want to like you. But the other big one is, can you be managed? It's a big one. Will you do the job long term? Are you going to stick around? And all those sorts of things. Again, one of the biggest mistakes that people make is law firms, like they, they do hire based on academic credentials. That's definitely true. It's true for company-facing law firms, meaning companies, law firms representing companies. It's not so much true for consumer-facing, but the, the academic credentials are important. But really, when you get, it's, they're only important for a short period of time because all the academic credentials show is they show uh, that you're smart and you have a lot of potential and you're able to get into good schools or other, whatever competitive to get into. So the academic credentials are important. They're also important for well, the clients, the academic credentials basically show, and people ask this all the time, so I'll just get into it. But the academic credentials show did well in competitions before, 
then you got competing with other people that, you know, and then learn with equally competitive people and then, and then look good on paper for clients. So again, I'm going to talk about each of these real important because people are always harping on their academic credentials. What I can tell you that's very interesting, and this is something that no one really teaches, but I'm going to teach it right now, is people come out of school and, or they're in really good schools, and they think that the most important, and then they think, wow, I've graduated from this top school and I should be really well received in the market. And you will be to some extent received if you went to a good school. Because it benefits the firms to have people that went to good schools to benefit certain firms to have that. So meaning company facing firms. So what a company, what a law firm will do is anytime that you're put on, a, you'll be on their website. And then if you're put on certain matters, they'll see, the clients will see your educational background. They'll think, okay, this person went to this great school and did well there. So therefore it's worth paying what we are for this firm. That's fine. Um, it will also show that you're able, smart and able to grasp things. Certain people are smarter than others, which is whatever. And, and if you went to a top law school or did really well or stuff, that, that looks good. So that means you're smart. But again, the smarts matter and, and your credentials matter. Equally competitive people. I think personally that one of the benefits of the best schools is just you're around people with big ambitions. And, and so that rubs off on you. So. Again, if you go to certain law schools, it's going to be really important to go into public service. If you went to others, it's going to be important. But the academic credentials are really okay, but they're very unimportant. After you've been out of school for a couple of years and you've started making all these choices, or you've made choices early in your career, because what the law firms are really concerned about and what any employer is really most concerned about is they're concerned about if you're going to stick around, does it make sense for them to hire you? Do you really want to work here? So does it really... You've done all this public service work. Why would you possibly want to work here? Or can you be managed? Like, why do you have all these gaps in your resume? Or why are you doing all these things? Do you think you're more important than us because you went to this great school or whatever? So all this stuff, and I just want everyone to understand, if you went to a really good school, no one, your academic credentials are are only important to the extent they help you get in the door early in your career. But after you've been out of school for three or four years, it doesn't matter. It's actually more important if you... Or from my standpoint, if you're consistent in a practice area, then so a lot of times people might have gone to Harvard's a huge law school. So people will go to Harvard and they'll come out and they might work in a big firm and then they'll decide that they want to go in house or something and boom, you're you can't get back into big firms probably after doing that. Or they will they'll go to Harvard and they'll come out and they'll go into work in some public interest organization and they'll decide they want to work in a law firm. And so the people are and then law firms will close the door on them. And so I'm just using Harvard as an example. It doesn't matter really where it is, but the more you do things that show you're unlikely to be managed or that you don't want the job, the more it's going to hurt you. So you really have to focus on, and again, I will send this out to everyone who's been on the call. You really have to focus on these other points. And the most important ones really are, you do the job long-term. They're asking that. And then will you do the job long-term? That's the big factor. Does it make sense for them? Does it really look like you're going to stick around? Do you really want this job? Why would you, if you went to work in-house and you were in-house for three years, why would you possibly want to come back to a law firm? Or if you left the law firm and now you're teaching, I see this all the time. I see people that left like these big law firms and now they're the dean of some law school and then they submit their resume in BCG, which is great, but it doesn't look like they're going to stick around if someone hires them. So you have to, they might, but very rarely. And then can you be managed and all these other things? So these kind of questions are, this is a very good question, but 
academic credentials are really not that important. And some people go through their whole careers talking about how they went to this top five law school, but then they do all these things that, you know, and that's, this opens the door, open the door, of course, but then the door closes by all these things people do, which show they can't be managed or they're unlikely to stick around. If you went to, I will just tell you, when I look at resumes all day long, every day I spend a few hours looking at resumes and at least, and I've been doing that for, and the resumes that are the most attractive are anybody that just shows a commitment to a practice area, like one practice area. And then because we do law firm placements, people that are committed to law firms. So that's it. And if you're committed to law firms and you're committed to a practice area and you and it looks like you're pretty stable, then you're marketable. It's not just because you went to a great law school. It's not what makes you marketable. No, it's important, good law schools. It's important for certain firms and, and it does show a lot. And then the idea is that if you were really motivated in the past, when you were in your early 20s to get into a good law school, then you're probably going to be able to channel that motivation into something significant if you apply yourself in one direction in a law firm. So these are, it's very smart for law firms to hire the best people, but you have to be, it has to be meaningful. So let me just see, let me try to find some longer questions. So these are more academic questions, which I think are important. So this next one is, how do you recommend candidates address a perceived weakness in their application, such as a lower GPA or lack of extracurricular activities during an interview without seeming defensive or making excuses? Okay, so the first thing is with grades. You shouldn't put, grades do not belong on your resume unless they're awesome. So I don't understand it, but I see people uh, all the time without bad grades, they'll put something like GPA 2.7, which might be good at certain schools, but, or GPA 3.2 or something. But in every law school, by the way, like I, when I went to law school, I think they had a mean and 80% of the class was between a 2.9 and a 3.1 or something. But putting on your resume that you had a 3.1 does not look good. So you just, you're better off just saying whatever. And putting your GPA on your resume is a big no-no, unless it's great, you put it on there. But most, a lot of people do that. So you shouldn't do that. The next thing is no one really cares too much about your extracurricular activities when you're applying for jobs. People put things on like they're on this student association or this, and it's pretty much meaningless. It's like you can put it on there if you want to make it look like you have an interest in something to make it, but really that law firms aren't going to be that impressed with any type of extracurricular activities. If you were did something that's great. But I mean, I think being a law review at certain schools is a good thing. Being maybe doing a journal because it gives you proofreading. So some of the stuff is good, but it's not really that big of a deal. And then your lower GPA. So how do you do this without seeming defenses or making excuses? Most employers aren't going to care. They're going to interview you. They're going to look at your grades and they're like, whatever. And if they're asking you about your grades, then you can talk about them, but most of the time they won't. And most of them don't care. You, again, the grades are going to make a difference between the type of firm you get into. So some firms will have cutoffs. So I've hired people before that have been in from recruiting roles and huge law firms and things. And certain law firms will just have cutoffs and they'll be like, you can't work there if you don't. So you won't even get an interview, but most firms don't care. And especially when you talk about, and I just want to keep coming back to this, your consumer-facing versus your company-facing firm. If you're interviewing with a consumer-facing firm, uh, meaning they're interviewing you to represent individuals in divorce or personal injury, or if maybe it's insurance defense representing, they're not going to be too concerned with your grades. The only time they're going to be concerned with your grades is if you're interviewing with a company facing place, and then there's a lot of competition. But honestly, the things about the people are more concerned about when they're interviewing with than the Lord, than your GPA and your extracurricular activities or how much they like you, 
how committed you seem to the practice area, how much you, how much you want to do the job and that sort of thing. So when it's interesting, like the best resumes for any practice area are always people that show some sort of commitment or interest in it, like some historical interest, like from their past or everything seems to make sense. So an example would be if you see a resume, like this is fun. So you look at a resume and I see resumes like this all the time. And the resume might say law school name, and then it'll say member of the entertainment law society. Or, I don't know, but I'm just giving you an example. Entertainment law society. And then it might say, I don't know, so you have the law school name, something like that. And then maybe their experiences, they worked at Warner Brothers one summer, Warner Brothers before law school. And then, and now they're doing, and now the person, and then their current employer is current employer. So what people do wrong all the time is, and then maybe they even have interest would be interest and they would write, I don't know, directing movie, I don't know, fame movies, or I don't know, you get the idea. So a lot of times the mistake that people will make is they will on their resume, they'll have all the stuff that makes it look like they, they really want to do entertainment law when they're doing corporate. And ex it's exactly what happens. Like people that look like this with a resume will always end up doing something related to entertainment. So they're wherever they're working, if it's a big firm corporate department, one foot's always out the door, they're never committed. So you're, the best way to make yourself strong for any employer is to make sure that everything really looks, and this person, by the way, would be a good person for an entertainment firm, but, but you would want to make everything look like corporate. How would you fix this resume if the person wanted to work in another corporate department? You'd have a law school and then you might have a business journal or I don't know, business journal. Uh, and then your interest would be Warner Brothers. I don't know. You might have that. You'd have bank, right? And then you might have interest might be stock market. I don't know. Anything related to business. And so the, people, when they when your resume looks very strong for a practice area, a certain type of thing. And again, this could be personal injury. It could be whatever. I mean, but if your resume looks very strong in one direction, people are going to be much more enthusiastic about you. Than if you're, than if it looks like you're not interested. So more concerned, they're more concerned, and I just want to, to understand this point: is people are more concerned about does your resume look like you want to do this type of work than your grades? Because if it looks like you're going to do this type of work, what they're concluding, any employer is concluding, is that they're that you're likely that you probably want the job and you're likely to stick around. That's more important to employers than your grades. Do you want to grow your legal career? A lateral move might be the right choice to get you on track for your career goals. Working with a legal placement firm like BCG Attorney Search can open doors for you and help you live the life you dream of. If you're looking for a new legal job, send us your resume so we can help. Visit www.bcgsearch.com and click on Submit Resume to be paired with one of our legal placement professionals who will work tirelessly on your behalf to get you your dream legal job. Submit your resume to www.bcgsearch.com to get started today. Garbage your plan. How's the best way to talk about it? Yeah, just you bring it up when you get an offer. You don't bring it up right away. So you talk about it at the offer stage. And that's actually a good question. But yeah, you don't presume to ask a question like that beforehand. Yeah, this is good. I'm going to all these questions. And I like these long questions too, by the way. Thank you. Have you ever seen a successful candidate when a government agent or public interest to stand on a law firm interview? And so how do they do it? Yeah, so I see it all the time. So you can definitely leverage your experience doing one of those things to get a law in a law firm. And your question is, how do they do? So, so I'm going to talk about real briefly, which is interesting. I'll talk about these kind of ranking systems. But 
But at the same time, it depends on what you're doing. So there's nothing wrong with working in a government agency or public interest organization. Working for a federal judge or any type of judge is a, a litigation-related role. Working in a government agency uh, is that way too, or public interest. But but if you're working in one of those organizations, is there a practice area relevant to what you're doing? I saw a candidate the other day that was just freaking amazing. I think the person went to, I think they were from Stanford, and they were they went to do something with a public interest organization in immigration. I think that person's a great candidate. But but is there a practice area relevant to what you're doing? So if so, you're in good shape. But is it what is that practice area? So sometimes it could be environmental or it could be, I don't know, but is there a practice area relevant to what you're doing? Because just remember that anytime someone sees your resume, they're asking these questions. They're asking, can you be managed? Do you want the job? Is this something that you're likely to have and want? And in a lot of cases, the answer may be no. But the point is anybody, and I want everyone on this call to make sure you I really make this point, anybody that wants to work in a law firm can get a job in a law firm. It's not hard. There's incredible numbers of law firms out there. There's there's so many law firms that it's I think it's impossible to track them. They're opening every day. But the law firms are ranked from, and I would say that you could rank them from five to one. So five would be your huge firms, representing huge clients. And then your one firms, and these rankings, there's nothing negative about these rankings, are firms representing individuals without a lot of money. So these with huge budget, the money to spend on legal, on legal stuff. So this is without a lot of money or no money, right? So no money. So these are how firms work. And then four would be smaller, this would be mid-sized, right? and this would be individuals, and maybe even small companies. So if you're looking for a job, it's, it's the stress that people are always under and they're saying, oh, I got laid off. And typically these are still your AMLAW 200 type firms or similar. The stress that people feel when they're laid off or whatever is, oh, and again, most people that get laid off are at four firms or whatever. They're like, oh, I was laid off and this is horrible news. I don't know what to do. I can't find a job. Well, what everyone's trying to do is they're all trying to get jobs at these four firms, another one, which is hard, uh, or they're laid off from a five firm and lose their job, and they're trying to get a job at another five or four firm. But you have this whole kind of universe of things that people aren't considering, which are sometimes mid-sized firms or individuals and small companies, or two firms or one firms. And it's anytime you're looking for a job and you don't, and you're not an ideal candidate on paper, like you're working in a government agency or a public interest organization. These firms hold, you, anyone can get a job. And when I say anyone, it's not that hard to get a job at a one firm. They're not going to pay a lot. Like I, I know someone that, who am I thinking of? Someone that worked at a huge firm, Gibson Dunn, and went to Ivy League Law School and did really well, and now has a personal injury firm in Los Angeles. And, and I was like, how much do you pay your associates? And he said, I don't know, 50 or 60,000, and which obviously in Los Angeles is not a big salary, but that's what the person pays. And and so you can you can always get a job in, a, in one of these one or two firms, or it's not that hard. And, and that's what happens. You can leverage your experience from an interest public interest organization to work in one of these small firms. And, and that's who's going to hire you. These firms, these five and four firms that are paying these huge salaries aren't going to take a chance if they know what's good for them. They, no offense, but and even the three firms probably won't take a chance. So these one and two firms will, though. They have nothing to lose. They're paying very little money. They, they don't care. They're willing to take a risk. It's how many people are going to go to work for 
in Los Angeles as a seventh or eighth year attorney, they, not many people. So that's all that happens. If you, if it's hard for you to get a job, you just need to lower your expectations and the type of size firm you're interested in working for. And if you do that, you're fine. All right, so what's this? Next step, what's next? Where are the places, websites, general legal job openings? Or what do you just see positions? Yeah. So there's a couple of different ways. I don't know. That's this question. It's a fun question. But there's a couple of different ways to find jobs. Obviously, um, there's lots of websites out there. One that we own is called that I own is called Law Crossing, which is a consolidation site. Will which goes out and looks for jobs everywhere. Obviously, there's there's other sites. And the reason this is good is it shows regardless of whether there's pay to post. So it means it'll find jobs everywhere. And then also there's sites like, and then it also shows archives, which are all the jobs it's ever had. And then of course you have, then you have sites like Indeed and there's tons of different places. So there's lots of job openings. Most legal job openings, by the way, are posted on employer websites. But I, I believe if I was looking for a job, obviously recruiters like myself are good because we're a placement agency. But, but at the same time, if you're, not in a position to use a recruiter, which you, if you work in a law firm and you're in a practice area that's, you have experience in one practice area, obviously I, or you can work with a recruiter. But if you don't want to work with a recruiter or you're doing things on your own, you, many times you can just apply to firms. You find people to apply to inside the firms or employers that have the kind of position you want. And that really is a really good way to get a position. So very few people, when they're looking for a job, will apply to employers without openings. The benefit of applying to jobs, firms without openings or employers without openings is you're the only applicant. And then something like law crossing is very useful because what law crossing does is there's tens of thousands of law firms. So law crossing goes and looks at every law firm website it can find and then takes the jobs off of there and then posts them. And uh, whereas a site like Indeed, they're showing jobs that the employers are paying to post. So you're not going to get as many there. And then and so Law Cross is going to show you stuff that other people don't know about, which is good. And it does have for in-house and government and things. But what I recommend, if you are looking for a job, there, there's also archive jobs on Law Crossing, which is interesting. So that'll show you anyone that's had uh, positions like that in the past, and that can be useful as well. So these are things that I would do if I was looking for a job. Okay, here's a good question. Okay. I lost my job in January as a first year, but I'm not starting to get interviews. However, some of the interviews are for a position that require two to three years of experience. Do I have a shot at this job? Yeah, you're fine. So you have nothing to do. If you're applying for jobs that require two to three years of experience and you only have two to three months, it sounds like of experience, you can definitely apply for those jobs. Um, employers will hire you for them. There, there's typically, what, um, you know, types of openings. And I always, I like, I just talked about this real briefly, but you have junior, very junior, I guess would be less than one year here and then and then you have junior which is like one to two mid-level which is like three to six so, and then you have senior which is seven five. so these are just rough numbers but the idea is that when you're applying for positions it's if someone's looking for a mid-level and you're a junior you can still apply if someone's looking for a senior and you have five years you can still apply so the law firms are not necessarily wed to these numbers in large law firms, like the largest, they may say, we're looking for a freaking fifth year. And when they say fifth year, they mean it. Like they only want a fifth year. That, and that would be the largest firms. But even the largest firms many times will be flexible with those numbers. So you don't need to worry so much about when you're applying for jobs, you don't necessarily need to worry. If you're getting the interviews, it just shows you right there that they don't care. So you don't need to worry too much about it. 
You're midway through the interview process, third round for a global GC position, and you know the salary advertised position in the USA, but you're based in Europe. Can you use the U? No, that's a good question. So typically people, uh, and for those that are on the call that have been, European companies will often, in people working in Europe will often pay much less, or companies in Europe will often pay much less than even to American attorneys than, than they're paid. Uh, in the U.S., so a job in Europe might pay three hundred thousand, and the U.S. the same job could pay five hundred. But if the job is based in Europe, you have to be careful. So I would, if it was me and I was negotiating the job, and I did get the job, I'm I would basically try to negotiate, uh, not telling them maybe the, if you feel comfortable doing that. But I would be very careful because. I've seen a lot of things go sideways with American attorneys getting offers from European firms and companies, and then bringing up, and then the European company or firm being like, that's where we pay people that work here. You need to be careful. Even after the offer, I saw something happen once where, where it was a big magic circle firm and they made one of my candidates an offer and my candidate, but the offer was in the UK and my candidate was also a, a UK citizen. And was like, why is this so low? And the reason was, is that they paid people in the UK a lot less than, than he was in the United States, but he had a double, had a, I don't know, he was, his family was, I don't know, one of them, but it doesn't matter. But, but anyway, and then they actually were mad when he tried to negotiate and withdrew it. So you need to be careful is all I would say with this kind of stuff with negotiating salaries. Sometimes I don't think, but if I would bring up, be careful about how you deal with that, but I would say it's probably negotiable. Okay, so the law firm says they need someone with experience in a niche. How often will a candidate be successful when negotiating a higher salary than, quote, an initial interview and get negotiating a fully remote schedule after an offer? Okay, so that's good. So if you have that niche type of experience in the law firm and it's very difficult for them to find someone like you, then yes, you can definitely potentially be very successful uh, in negotiating all of this stuff. I haven't seen anything like I, I've used to see in the past in terms of how aggressive you can get with this kind of stuff. But but candidates are often very successful if they have a special niche. Uh, but let me just explain to everyone some problems sometimes with negotiating high salaries. And so law firms, when if they really need someone with your niche experience or they, or I don't know, or they, then they will often give you what you want. So they'll give you a higher salary or they'll give you, allow you to work remotely. But the problem is that that things change. Right now, for example, corporate has been very slow and and people are having a lot of problems in markets like capital markets and stuff. So people that a couple of years ago were negotiating these, negotiating with employers and expecting a lot, refusing to only work remote, are suddenly dealing with employers that don't have as much work. And so the people that negotiated the hardest uh, when things were good, are often some of the people, first people to go because there's resentment or whatever, or they're considered harder to manage. So you do want to be careful when you negotiate this stuff. You can negotiate very aggressively with employers, but just keep in mind that unless you're really delivering when you get there uh, and really providing a lot of value, if things slow down, it could present problems for you later. So that's just something to consider. And I've had in, in my case, I've seen before that people have come in and negotiated all this stuff, but then when if things slow down or the market changes, they're often the first to go, so you need to be careful. Do you know the secrets to getting your dream legal job? We do. 
and one of the best things you can do is apply to jobs that fly under the radar. Applying to openings with very little competition means you stand a much higher chance of getting hired. But how do you find openings like that? For starters, you're not going to find them on major job boards because these jobs are usually only advertised on companies' websites and in small regional publications. That is why we created Law Crossing, the most comprehensive database of legal jobs in the world. We have a team of people constantly working to find every single legal job out there. Unlike other job boards, which only list jobs that companies pay to post, we include every legal job we can find in order to maximize your chances of finding a job. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to www.lawcrossing.com to find your dream legal job today. Okay, so let me see. This is actually interesting. So this person says, I asked for post-interview feedback and was told I'm overqualified. Okay, so that just means when they say you're overqualified, that means that you're going to get there and you're not going to be able to be managed or you are going to expect more money, all that sort of stuff. So that's all. So you need to come in and act, act like a team player. And, and really what I would recommend would be all this advice that I've given today about being able to be managed and acting like you want the job and are all really important things in terms of not giving the employer the sense you're overqualified. If the employer is saying you're overqualified, essentially what they're saying is they think that it'll be difficult to manage or you may expect more money in the market and they want to, they want to have, they don't want to have someone that they have to pay as much. And just be really careful with that. That's what they're saying. One of the, I was thinking about this not too long ago, and I was thinking about mistakes that I've made hiring people and, and things. And I remember once I hired someone and the person was making very little money. And I was like, oh, that's probably pretty smart. Maybe I can hire this person for the same kind of little bit of money and give them a little bit more money. And I did. And then after several months, the person became resentful and, and they had every reason to be because they weren't being paid enough and and then mad and that kind of thing and then ended up leaving and, and not under good circumstances. So what was the, what is, why am I bringing that up? I'm bringing that up because employers are greedy and I was greedy and made a mistake and they will hire people, anybody, if they're, if they think they're cheap enough or, uh, and they think they have the upper hand, but it's not always the smartest thing to do. So maybe you were interviewing for a job that was paying less than you're, they know you're capable of making or something. And, and that's why they didn't hire you. And that would be what I would think would have happened. Something along those lines. What are your thoughts? Yeah. So I think when, if it's a startup law firm, I think a lot of times very young law firms that have these sorts of issues, I think that, I think you can sometimes ask about this stuff in a startup and talking to a law firm. I think you, I think it's okay to bring this stuff up. I would bring it up uh, after you get the job and express your concerns to them. One of the things that I would also recommend with startup law firms. So law firms are, when they start up, it's they, where they get into trouble is they get into trouble when, when they start hiring people that they, and then they hire more people than they can afford. So if you're a law firm, essentially have office space and phones and secretaries and stuff, but you're really, you're essentially renting out people's minds. And so there's a lot of, it's pretty high profit. That's your goal. So a lot of new law firms will get themselves in trouble. Um, they'll do things like hire too many people or, and they will make bad business decisions when they're starting. And so you need to be, when if anytime you're looking at a brand new law firm, you need to realize that the law firm doesn't have experience managing things and it's likely to make a lot of mistakes. 
And therefore, you just need to be careful because the kind of people a law firm hires when it's starting are not the kind of people that it would hire years later. You're, all these sorts of questions that you're asking are precisely the kind of things that don't happen at established law firms and because they have to bring in systems and things to make the law firm more, run better. And the, law, the oldest and the best law firm or the most respected law firms typically have very clear guidelines about the way things operate and stuff. So this is, it's just a little bit different than, so you need to be careful. I was just saying with joining younger law firms, but yeah, you can ask those sort of sorts of questions. How can I convince any reason I'm interested in the work they do with my residents and I have the background? Yeah. The example in terms of how you would do that is you have to have, you, have, you should take classes, you should join associations, you should do whatever you can to look like that's your interest. So the law firm if there's a way that the law firm can see that on your resume, that would be helpful. But yeah, no, no law firm in their right mind, if you don't have the experience without anything on your resume, is going to hire you unless you have that. So again, I'll just come back to this point, you know, that ultimately what sells is you're not going to get a resume at a four or five, a job at a four or five firm in IP if you're a healthcare attorney, but you might get a job at a two firm or one firm that's going to take a chance on you. So there has to be something that's outweighing your lack of focus. And so no four or five firms going to interview you or bring you in. Um, they have no incentive to if you're trying to do something different. So you just need to be very careful. Yeah, so being foreign educated is very difficult. If you're from a foreign country and a foreign college and you maybe came over here and got an M, a lot of people do that. It's sad because most of them aren't able to get jobs and they'll get jobs maybe as a consultant or some, for one year in a big firm, but it's very difficult if you're educated in a foreign country and a foreign college. So how do you deal with that? People get jobs all the time, but again, it's, it's the same sort of thing. So you have to, you have to, anyone that has any problem or is concerned about getting a job, it's just, you just go, you just have to work at the smaller firms. That's all. You just, the smaller, the lowest paying firms, you have to start somewhere before you can move up. People that go educate in foreign countries and foreign colleges will always try to get jobs in the very best U.S. firms, and that's fine, but that doesn't always work. So what they do is they think, oh, I need to apply to one of these AMLA 100 firms or whatever. And you might, some you know, people do get jobs in this. I'm not saying it's impossible because it's definitely possible, but most of the people that get jobs in the best U.S. law firms have worked in a really good firm in their foreign country and then come over here and then try to do the same. And and usually they'll get these jobs for, for a short period of time. It'll be like a one-year job or two-year jobs, but they usually don't last. But if you really want to live in the U.S. and work in the U.S. full-time, the only thing you need to worry about is, is if you can't get a job in one of the major firms and just get a job in smaller firms. And and I was talking, it was very funny years ago. I, I don't know when it was, but there was, I was talking to this and I never see people like this. So I thought it was very funny, but there was this candidate I had that was, he was in Nebraska or something and he was representing, I don't know, farmers or just something really funny, but he was from China and, and he'd come over and gone to University of Nebraska or something for law school. And had this job where he was working like in some small town and uh, and representing farmers and doing tractor sales and things and then negotiating with seed companies. And I thought it was the funniest thing in the world, but he got a job and it was a small firm. And but it was very funny because he just was obviously the you know in an area where there's probably no no one that's from a foreign country at all. 
in the middle of nowhere. But the point is that you can always get a job in the U.S. if you're from a foreign country, but you have to, it's not always going to be in the biggest firms. And that's where people make the mistake because they think that's the only thing that there is. Let's see here. And it's not. If it turns out you've addressed your cover letter to the wrong person, but have the contact information for the correct person, says you send a corrected cover letter, how would you phrase the email? So the first thing is, no, most law firms don't care. If you send to the wrong person, it goes to the right person. It's not really that big of a deal. But you certainly can send a second one. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, sometimes that's smart. But again, law firms receive so many emails and cover letters and things that you, there's nothing wrong with that. You can definitely send it to the right person. Next question, is it a problem if I'm invited for an interview and seem too unavailable? Uh, if a firm asks if days work best for me, seeing any day works, is that too desperate? No, I would just say, let me know the best time for you and I'll try to make it work, something like that. And law firms like that. But don't don't say any day, any time. Just, just say, let me know what time's best for you and I'll try to make it work. And that's probably the best way to handle that. Okay, let me see if there's anything else that I missed that might be good. I think I've gotten here. So this is another good question. I think I've got most of the questions. So what is a good way to tell if success is without sounding like you're bragging? The best way really is the most of your successes should come through in your resume. And in, when you talk about successes, you don't want to make it seem like you're a lone wolf. You want to make it seem like you were able to do things based on the help of other people. And, and the advice of other people and things like that. So you make other people feel like they're included and that makes you look like a nice person. So that's really the best way. But you don't want to go in and, and it's, there's actually kind of two types of bragging. So bragging to uh, associates, if you're an associate, is bad because you're competing with them. So if you're bragging to associates at your level, that's not good because they're competitors of yours. But if you're bragging to partners and you're an associate, um, to partners equals good because they're going to think they they want they want competitive people working for them. So just think about it that way. So if you're bra bragging to associates at your level, that makes it seem like you're um, you know that you could be a competitor of theirs, and they're not going to like that, and that was going to turn them off. But if you're bragging to partners about things you've done, they're going to like that because it's going to basically be your competitor and that sort of thing. Okay. Okay. So I don't know this question, but this is there any type of practice areas or locations? Yeah. So the highest compensation is typically going to be in the largest markets where there's the most competition and in practice areas that are going to be the highest are always going to be practice areas where people are representing companies as opposed to individuals. Okay. Let's see. What is this? I'm sure. So the best way to appear like you really want the job you're interviewing for is to just go in and be very excited to know about the firm, to know everything you can, and to be very excited about the firm that you're interviewing with. That's really the best thing. And then to, for the, to look like there's some consistency on your resume and it represents something that you've always wanted to do. All right, let me see here. Oh, I think that's about all the questions. So I certainly appreciate everyone being here today. I think, I'm not sure we'll cover next week, but I, I enjoyed doing this and hope this interview talk was helpful today. I will send around all of these notes to everyone about the stuff we covered. And then these are usually posted also within a week or so. But um, again, I do recommend one, I think the final piece of advice I would give everyone is to really put yourself in the shoes of an employer that's interviewing you and never, and don't really think about yourself as much like people tend to be more focused on themselves and and so just realize that the employer just wants to hire people that are going to do whatever they ask that's they're going to stick around 
that want to be there, that will follow instructions, and that are likable. And those are really the biggest things. But I'll send this around to everyone. And I, I do, if you go and watch other webinars that I've done, I always cover these topics, whether it's related to resumes or other things. And, and again, preparing the stuff is going to make you much more effective in your interviews. So thank you for being here today. And I will talk to everyone next week. That's all the time we have for this edition of the show. If you are an attorney looking for a change, head on to bcgsearch.com.